Metro comes and visits. Uh, they are in that area. They've left there. They've completed the journey to the wilderness of Sinai, and they've camped in the wilderness there. So Israel camped there before the mountain. Just as an aside, we will find that Israel's camping. We find out they're set up in tents, and God's going to uh, set up an established order once the tabernacle is uh, built, and how the tribe is be situated around and north, east, south, and west. But here they're just at the foot of the mountain, camped there before the mountain of God. It's at this point that what God has said, let my people go that they may serve me. That it begins. They're really coming to the point of service. They're going to be instructed in the service. And it's remarkable that Moses goes on to communicate to them that God says to these people that they are to be a kingdom of priests who worship their God, even the Lord who saves. In verse 3, then Moses goes up to the mountain. There's uh, in the passage, if you read carefully, find Moses going up and coming down and going up and going down. Reminds us of the, the vigor and the health of in this man. He's, in his, he's 80. And he's climbing a mountain and he's coming back down as he goes up to meet with God. So he goes up to the mountain and there God speaks with him. And we find in verse 3 the message that God gave to Moses for the people. Verse 3, Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, What is it that he will say? You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Remember, what is the main theme of the book of Exodus? So we've been looking at it. That the Lord God, the covenant faithful Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these people's God, is he's making himself known. And you hear that rehearse. He says, you've seen what I did to Egypt. God made himself known to Egypt. He made himself known to Pharaoh. He humbled Pharaoh greatly, this man who uh, presumed with arrogance that he was a sovereign. Egypt has been, I mean, Israel's been there. They have seen um, what God has done, and God has been revealed to them as well as the Egyptians. But now it's just them at the mountain of God, and God further revealing himself to them. You have seen how, what I did to Egypt, the Egyptians. <clears throat> we know from the account that the first couple of plagues that hit uh, Egypt um, also were visited upon Israel. They experienced some of those same hardships. And then there's that mark where no longer were the plagues having any impact upon them, but nonetheless they were looking on uh, just imagine for yourselves, if you were there, seeing these plagues, these supernatural, mighty acts of God, and you recognize this is your God who is doing these things. And there should have been, uh, within the people of God, a respect and a reverence and an awe and a wonder. But that's something we also lose, often lose sight of, isn't it? We become quite familiar, quite comfortable with God. I think that's one of the great problems in the, the evangelical church in our land today, that there's this kind of a casual and overly familiar attitude towards God. Um, if Israel has any of that lingering in them, they're about to be shaken up and that taken away as God comes down. But God's reminded them, what have I done for you? Look what I do, did to the, uh, to the Egyptians. 
And then he says, how I bore you on eagle's wings, brought you to myself, that is, to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. What was he talking about? Bearing them on eagle's wings. There was one, some sense, you could look at the history that there was hardships, it was difficult. They walked every mile. This is a wilderness area. They, they've come to the realities of deprivation. They have no food. They have no water. Uh, we've seen how they murmur and complain, and, and God makes no mention of that. And what he's talking about, he says, in your need, I have provided for you. I've given you bread from heaven every morning and meat on the winds of the evening. When there was no wilderness, no water in the wilderness, I opened the rock. In other words, God is saying, I have made your way easy. It's as though I've carried you on wings. Can you imagine what it would have been like for them? How many of them would have made it from the Reed Sea to Mount Sinai without those provisions from God's hands? Just reflect on your own life. How far would we have made it without God's faithfulness, His provision? Does He not carry us like we're on wings of an eagle? The Lord is so faithful to his people. In that, the Lord is revealing himself to us, even as he has to them as old. And so he, Moses sent, uh, he sends Moses with this message to remind them. Tell them that you've seen these things, you've experienced these things, how I've demonstrated who I am, and where does it end up? I brought you to myself. We think about our own experience, and I look at this room, and I know something of some of your conversion stories, some of your past, but each of us, if we told our story, you know, it would be different. You know, some of us, you know, have been brought to the Lord through great hardship and difficulties. Some have been brought out of uh, great darkness and, and, and wicked places, and others of us have had the blessing of growing up in Christian homes, covenant homes, nurtured by parents who love the Lord. We've grown up in the church, and the Lord has brought us all, nonetheless, to himself. And that's what he's saying here. I have brought you to myself. You see the sovereign hand of God, the electing hand of God. God chose Abraham when he was a Gentile in the era of the Chaldeans, and he has preserved Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through adversity and difficulty. If you ask those men, they would say, yes, the Lord carried us on the wings of eagles through hardships and difficulties and brought not me and us to himself. This is what God says. We hear his God's redeeming grace. His covenant to redeem. He's been faithful. It's back to his name. L-O-R-D, all caps, which speaks of covenant, faithful God. He has been faithful to them. He goes on then to speak of them, of the people, you know, what he has done for them. But in verse 5, he says, Now therefore, in light of this, who I am, what I've done, I've redeemed you, I've brought you to myself. In light of this reality, what does he say? If, you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So the Lord has been faithful. 
He has redeemed them. He's brought them out. They are a special treasure. He's reminded there's there's all the earth, out of all the earth. That's not uh, just geography, mountains, hills, and valleys, and streams, but from all the peoples, the many people groups that are scattered upon the face of the earth. I have brought you, I have chosen you, even as I chose your father Abraham, and have made of him a great nation, even as it is this day. The Lord reminds them that it is his doing. Abraham, when God came to him, we're told in Scripture, Paul writes of this in Romans, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. It was credited to his account as righteousness. That he believed God, we, we understand that he was justified. And how do we know this? What was the proof that Abraham was justified? That he was a new creature in Christ? He obeyed God. He wasn't redeemed because he obeyed. He obeyed because he was redeemed. Now, God is saying to this people, I've redeemed you. I've brought you out. Now, will you obey my voice? He's calling on them to obey him, to keep his covenant, to be faithful. And he says, if you do this, you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see that same condition with the promise that God made to King David. He says, you will have a son to sit upon your throne down through all the generations if they will keep my commandments, if they will walk in my path. As we know from the account of the record in the kings that David had several sons that were faithful, and there were some that were not. And yet the Lord preserved, of course, the culmination, the fulfillment, was in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, David's greater son, who even now is seated on the throne of David um, as in some marvelous way the throne of david is the throne of god god has kept the promise and christ reigns the greater son of david reigns and god is saying to these people i will make you have a kingdom of priests what do priests do <clears throat> they worship god now god's not calling all of the tribes of israel to uh, serve the sacrifices we'll see as we move along that he appoints the tribe of levi particularly to act on that behalf, but nonetheless, they are a people, as a people, who can draw near to God to worship Him. That's why He's brought them out of the bondage. That's why He's brought them to Himself, that they could worship Him. And He says that you're a holy nation, set apart, holy, distinct, different. God is said to be holy, holy, holy. He's unlike us. He's unlike any other. He's completely distinct and separate. And yet God is saying, you, out of all the people's earth, will be holy, set apart out of all the people of the earth, unto me, a holy priest, my people. And therefore, you should obey me. These are the words of Moses, of God, uh, of God that Moses was then to speak to the children of Israel. Verse 6, he says, these are the words. You shall speak them. He's putting a word into Moses' mouth. Moses is a prophet. Moses is a priest. Moses is a mediator. And we see very much in this passage, Moses as mediator. He goes up, he meets with God, and God tells him what to say, how to represent God to the people. Moses comes down, he represents God to the people faithfully. The people speak to Moses, as we're going to see in just a moment. And then Moses goes back to God and tells him what the people have said. Will they obey? It's a great nation. It's a great host. How will it become clear that they believed God. How would it become clear out of this mixed multitude those who have faith in the living God? 
will be by their obedience. And that's exactly true today. This is what James says in his letter. James says, you want to know if you have saving faith? Turn with me to James 2. You want to know if the faith that you say you have is, is true saving faith? James gives this example, and he also cites Paul, as we just, I mean, uh, cites Abraham, as we just heard how Paul does. James 2, we find, if you sum up what James says here, saving faith obeys. Saving faith bears fruit in keeping with righteousness. James 2.14, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith, I'm inserting that because the original, the Greek, has that there. Can that faith, or we might say, can that kind of faith save him? A, a, a man who claims to have faith, and yet it has no works, can that kind of faith save him? Well, he then gives a specific example. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But you do not give them the things that are needed for the body? What does it profit? What's good to your, uh, your blessing? Depart in peace. What, what, what value is in that? Will that, that, that pronouncement of blessing warm them, feed, feed them? He says, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But if someone says, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe in uh, you believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And then he goes on to cite Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? This is 20 years after Abraham believed God and was accounted him as righteousness. And you see him obedient unto God to take even his only begotten son and offer him up in obedience to God. And of course, we know that God stayed his hand and God provided a, a lamb pointing to Christ. <clears throat> so it is when God says, if therefore you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. This is not the conditions for being saved. This is the demonstration that you are saved. We know that there's at least two among this number argue more, a Moses, Aaron, and Sister Miriam, Caleb, and Joshua. I'm convinced there are others in the multitude that also have a saving faith in the living God of heaven. We will see that the majority do not, as we make, well, actually we need to come all the way to numbers to find that. So, we can sum it up, and I'm sure you've heard this saving, this statement, justification is by faith alone, but it is faith that is never alone. Good works follow. There will be sanctification. There will be that growth in holiness, even lifelong. So Moses did as he was told, verse 7. He obeyed, he came down, he called the elders, he told them. The text makes it clear that the people hear this message. Remember that uh, somewhere in here, we've, we've covered chapter 18, where uh, Jethro gives the advice to divide the people in groups, 10, 50, hundreds, into thousands. Uh, was it that the elders went out and 
through this distribution carry the message or you know though the elders were summons the, the people gathered to hear as well it's not clear but nonetheless the message that Moses brings the people hear this message and the text makes it clear that they hear the message see verse 8 their response then all the people answered together and said all that the Lord has spoken we will do so Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. So he goes back to God. Here's the mediator. Brings God's message. Gives it to the people. The people respond to what God has said. And Moses brings that message back to God. Now, you think about it. Did, did, did God need to wait for Moses to show up so that he would know what the people had said? No. God knows all things. He hears all things. He sees all things. But we're seeing this play out as it's God is showing us what a mediator does. Because Moses is pointing ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that Christ is our mediator for our benefit. It's not that God, the Father, needs Christ to bring our message to him. He knows all things. He hears all things. He sees all things. His eyes rove throughout the world. There's nothing hidden from the sight of God. And yet God is appointed for us to have a mediator. Is that not a great comfort? We have a greater mediator, one who shed his own blood for our souls. He has provided himself as a sacrifice to remove our sin. He is, as our Redeemer, he is the high priest who offered up the sacrifice of himself to save us from our sin. He is the high priest who now is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us continually. And yes, he's our prophet. He speaks to us in his word, and he is our king. Moses is one of the few that, in some sense, represents all of those things. So we see here the people responding back to God. There's some lessons here. We've noted God's sovereign electing grace. This nation, why are they a nation? Why are they a uh, special people of God? Well, he chose them. Beginning with Abraham, he chose them. He has called them out from all the people. And, and he set the terms of their covenant relationship with them. He has made covenant commitments and he has made covenant promises and he has fulfilled them. And we see him continuing to fulfill them. And in, those, in that context, and he sets the terms of the covenant of what their responsibility is. To obey him. It's the Lord who's redeemed them from bondage. I'm going to make this again Clear. Yes, I know I'm saying this over and over again. We need to understand it. Their redemption was not because of their obedience. God sovereignly saved them and brought them out. So, he says, because he has done so, he requires of them obedience, even as he does of us. That's why we come to the law every week, reminded of our sinfulness. We've not kept our covenant of but we're reminded not that we should despair. We're reminded that we would remember we have a, a Redeemer, even Christ who speaks on our behalf, one who has kept the law of God perfectly, that we would rejoice in Him. That we remember that we are covered in His blood, that we are in union with Him. So we also learn in this passage about Moses, as I've been stressing, this mediator between God and man. Moses represents people God to his people the people to God this is his function as a priest 
throughout this passage, you, Moses literally goes up and down the mountain to meet with God. So we have a clear picture of one greater than Moses who, who came down from heaven. Remember in John's Gospel where Jesus makes reference that he was the ladder that Jacob saw who came, came bridges between heaven and earth. He says, I am that ladder. It's a picture of him as a mediator, bridging the gap between us and God, which is a massive expanse between the holy God and us as a sinful people. And we see Moses going up this mountain, picturing that one who is greater, God the Son, who in due time from this point will be sent to redeem his people and bring them to God. We dwell now and that is completed. We have Christ as our mediator. We're not looking to a mere man to mediate on our behalf. We have Christ who has gone before us. How is it that Christ can do this? Because he shed his own blood. It wasn't the blood of the lamb put on the doorpost. It's his blood that was shed. Therefore he can purchase us and secure us and bring us to God. That we can be washed and cleansed. That we can be God's people. And indeed, a holy nation. Christ is our high priest. Yesterday at Presbytery, we, we, we always had a worship service, and one of the texts that we took up was Psalm 110, and it speaks to this very reality that Christ is our priest. There we read, the Lord, this is all capital, the covenant faith Lord, has sworn and will not relent, speaking to his son, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. That mysterious, interesting priest, the king of Salem also, that Abraham meets after the victory over the armies, and offers a, an offering up to this priest. The record of his beginning, the record of his ending, it's as though he's an eternal priesthood. And, and that's Christ priesthood. After the order of Melchizedek, an everlasting and enduring priesthood, he is the only mediator between God and man. It's only because of what Christ has accomplished that we can assemble together here in this place. God has brought us out of the world. He has chosen us and brought us together to meet with him. His congregations are meeting and gathering around the globe today as we are done. We all draw near to God because Christ is our mediator. Because he has shed his blood to redeem us, to wash us with um, cleanse us with his blood, remove our sin and guilt and shame, and bring us to the Father. We come in a sense to the mountain of God, but in a moment I'll tell you we, we are the mountain of God. We are Zion. God dwells in our midst because of what Christ has done. So, just a quick review. Verses 1 through 8, we've seen the circumstances, the time and the place. We've seen the Lord's grace and salvation recounted again. We see the Lord call to those who he had saved to obey him. And we see, we hear the people's agreement. All that the Lord is required, we shall do, they've said. Sisters and brothers, here's a picture of a greater salvation. We were not slaves, whipping our back, laboring at the brick kilns, making bricks from an overlord in a foreign nation. No, our slavery was much greater. We're in the bondage of sin, and God has brought us out of that. 
is secured for us an eternal salvation, not just a delivered out of Egypt to bring us into a land flowing with milk and honey. He has brought us out from under the wrath of God to bring us ultimately home to heaven, as it were, to, to take us from where, like Adam, was driven out of the garden to the east. God is bringing us back to himself and his son. The great exodus is being accomplished by Christ that ultimately we will be in the presence of God in the eternal need, even heaven, forevermore. Is that a reasonable thing then for God to call you to obey him? Certainly is. So great a salvation. Freely given. Not by works. God says, now that you're my people, obey me. By his grace, in full reliance upon the Holy Spirit, have you agreed to obey him? That's the commitment we make after God has accomplished the salvation. And indeed, because of this so great salvation, this is not like the worship for you. There's no other like him. He alone is God. He is worthy devotion, our wholehearted worship. Well, he gives us then, or brings us then to the second point, the, the consecration of God's people. They're, they're there at Sinai. God is going to meet with them. So, God makes a commandment or he gives instructions. He said from the outset that God's going to come down on the mountain. He's going to meet with the people there brought there for this very purpose that God will meet with his people. And to come and to meet this Christ, holy God requires some preparation. <clears throat> Remember Isaiah 6. We were in Isaiah uh, when we were preaching through John. Remember Isaiah, he he finds himself you know, in, in, whether in the spirit, as Paul refers to, or uh, in a dream, but he finds himself in the throne room of God, and he beholds God seated high and lofty, and the smoke fills the temple, and he realizes where he's at. And what does Isaiah do? He doesn't go, oh, cool, look where I'm at. No. He falls on his face before the holy God. And he says, I am utterly rent asunder. I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. In other words, he's, he's proclaiming, I'm a sinner, unholy in the presence of a holy God. That's who we're meeting with right now. That's who Israel is about to meet with in Mount Sinai. They've seen his power and his majesty in dealing with Egypt, but also in the provision he's made. But they're going to see him in a way that they have not seen him before. More importantly, they're going to hear him. Verse 9 tells us that the Lord announces he's going to come down. That people, what does it say? He says, I will come. Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud. God's not going to be able to be seen. He's, you cannot see God, who is a spirit. He's going to come in a thick cloud. And the people will know that he is there. But what is it that God, he tell, God tells Moses? That the people may hear when I speak with you, they're going to hear the voice of God. Does that make you think of Romans 10, 14? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How shall they believe if they do not hear? And how do they hear if there's not a preacher? 
Therefore say, how beautiful are the feet in him who brings good news. God makes himself known to us through his word. Even the Lord Jesus Christ, as John's gospel opened up, he is the word of God, was with God, and was God from the beginning. And apart from him, nothing was made that was made. God is saying, they're going to see a thick cloud. That's all they're going to see is it's a thick cloud. But I will be there, and I will speak to you. And he says, the people will hear when I speak to you. And what's the result? And believe you forever. God is doing this that the people should know that Moses alone has been called out. There's been some controversy over that. There will be more controversy over that. Miriam will find herself leprous. And Aaron and her said, who do you think you are? And then later, Dothan and Abiram, they'll rebel. Says you've just taken all this to yourself. They've, they've forgotten this. God has said, I will speak with you. And the people here can believe you forever. Do we find that to be true? Get back to the, John's gospel. Who were the Pharisees in the same? Who were the religious people? I'm not mean the religious, not people who believe God, not those saved by faith, but the religious people. Who did they look to? Moses. Moses was their hope. It was all this very physical stuff. We're Abraham's children, and we look to Moses. We follow Moses. And, and indeed, it's the enduring impact that we hear of here, that, that the people will, will believe you forever. Moses stands exalted in the eyes of Israel, even practicing Jews today, practicing uh, what's not true or faithful. They still hold to Moses and then you find that in that context, Moses tells the, the words of the people, which were in the previous verse, that all that the Lord has spoken we will do. He's completing his continuous task as mediator. So then the Lord said to Moses, go, go back down, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for on the third day, for on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So, the Lord is going to appear. We call this a theophany. He's going to appear in this dark cloud. And the people need to be prepared for that. They're going to meet with God. What we see here is what the writer of Hebrews tells us about. This, this is the former time. He says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke to the fathers by prophets, Moses is such a one, has these last days spoken to us in his son. And then a blessing. We sit here this morning and we hear Christ speak to us from his word. There's no dark clouds. There's no fire and smoke. There's no trembling or quaking mountain. But nonetheless, God is speaking with us. He has spoken in his son and he continues to speak when his word is faithfully preached. So God's elevated Moses in the eyes of the people. We've, this, this is not unique. He elevated the eyes of the people in the plagues in Egypt, the crossing of the sea. But God says, I'm going to do something more. I'm going to speak, and the people will hear me speak with you. And they need to be ready for that. They need to be consecrated. This is a remarkable event. What's the first thing they're to do? To wash their clothes. Now this morning, I imagine... We came with clean clothes, right? We didn't go to the dirty laundry basket and find something to wear. Uh, we, I hope not. But we came, we came 
hopefully preparing. But does washing our clothes prepare us to be with God? Or, or, or should we consider that this washing of the clothes is to speak of something more important? But the preparing of the heart. Why do we wash clothes? Because they're dirty. And how our dirty people need to be consecrated? They need to be washed. God's beginning to teach them. Remember, they've just come out of a land of idols, idol worship. And the Lord is beginning to teach them. It's just, they're in the school of Christ, we could say. And they say, wash your clothes. Give them the sense of their uncleanness. And then they're going to meet with their God of heaven. But in verse 14, we find Moses speaking to the people this message. And he uses a different word, which is helpful. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people. And they washed their clothes. Set apart. They are coming to meet with God. They need to be set apart, sanctified, consecrated to the Lord. And that's what the Lord is preparing them for. Remember the, uh, the word that uh, the Lord spoke to the woman at Sychar, the well? That remarkable exchange that, that Jesus has with, with a Samaritan woman. How he reveals even to her that he is Messiah. Such an incredible passage. But he tells her something that we linger to think on. And indeed we should. He says the Father is seeking. It's the only time you find in the scripture that God is seeking those who worship or worship him in spirit and in truth. That is, as you remember when we preached on that, that having the spirit, by the spirit working us, in us, we worship him in spirit and in truth. That is according to his direction, what he has appointed. You can hear more about that. We talk about the regulator principle. We're going to be meeting with God, and God is looking for those who are worshiping from the heart. Do they understand all that? I don't think they do. But the Lord is beginning to reveal something about himself. This experience that they're fixing to have uh, requires some preparation and instruction to wash your clothes. You, you don't just show up casually. How much they grasp, we don't know, but this is the beginning of their instruction. So going back to verse 11, we find out it's going to be on the third day that God's going to come down in the sight of all the people. All the people camp round about the base of the mountain. They're going to be summoned to come near the mountain, as we'll hear in a moment. They're going to see the thrice holy God stooping down from heaven to make his presence known to them. This is God is holy. His coming to this mountain will make the mountain holy. So, the people need to be warned. And that's exactly what God tells Moses to do. Look at verse 12. You shall set bounds for the people all around, that is, all around the mountain, to say to them, take heed to yourself that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. We might say, even touch its base. This mountain is holy. Don't, don't even come to that part where the mountain starts to rise. Set a boundary. Why? Because whoever touches the mountain shall be surely put to death. Does that seem extreme to you? Surely you'll help that you understand that. God's holy. 
And those who will arrive on Judgment Day who are not holy, that is, being in Christ Jesus, washed with His blood, redeemed by Him, they will be an unholy people and they will perish everlastingly. Here's a picture of the consequences of the holiness of God and the wrath of God. Those that will come near and touch the mountain, they shall surely die. And we see the sense of their holiness because God goes on to tell him, not by a hand shall you touch him. He's touched the holy mountain, God, he's holy, and you shall surely, he shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. That's a way that that individual or beast could be killed without anybody touching them, lest they also die. That individual, whether man or beast, <clears throat> shall not live. And then he says, when the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near to the mountain. God tells him when it'll be time to assemble. So then we find Moses going down again, down the mountain to the people, and he sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And again it says to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. I think that probably from the passage, you know, the set of boundary, that Moses um, mercifully was Put markers, you know, so the people aren't wondering hey, hey, where's where's the mountain start. You know, before they went and drove stakes in the ground, but I think he said God said set a boundary. Then he made it clear to the people, you know, what would we do today? You know, you grab a cat and an aerosol paint and you know spray a line of where the limits are. But in some way, Moses made it clear to the people that would have been a mercy for them, so they didn't have to wonder. But I can imagine whatever that marker was, however he set the boundaries, that the people stayed back from that. Is holy. Our God is holy. Do we have a sense of the awe and the wonder and the majesty and the holiness of God? It's lost upon us at times, is it not? We've said throughout this sermon series several times that things need to be repeated. We need to hear things over and over again, like we hear the law week after week. Because we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of the holiness of God. We're all very accustomed, you know, Sunday morning, we, we prepare ourselves outwardly and we drive this place and we come in and we take our seats. But we come <coughs> with a holy God. And we need to be prepared to meet with that holy God. Frequently, we read from 1 Corinthians 11 when we come to the Lord's table. And it's in that passage you have these warnings. This morning, as Elder Shoemaker was taking us through the Eighth Commandment, we're reminded of this passage that sometimes people die. The death is, or I'm sorry, it was the eighth commandment, it was the homily from the first Corinthians. And he had talked about him, baptism of the dead, the resurrection, so forth. I was thinking about this passage. There's a danger of dying, but I was thinking how that ties into first Corinthians 11. What does Paul say? Examine yourself. That you don't eat and drink in an unworthy manner. He says, for this reason, some of you are ill and some sleep. That is, believers who, who have died in the Lord. That's 
referred to as asleep. It's not a, a death unto eternity, but they have fallen asleep. They've, been, they've died because of an indifference or a callousness or a carelessness in coming to the Lord's table. And when we come to worship, we should always prepare to come to the Lord's table for one reason, we're a congregation, we practice weekly communion. And so I would say to you, if you want to know whether you're prepared to come to worship, ask yourself, am I prepared to come to the Lord's table? Have I examined myself? Have I considered the walk of the Lord? Are there sins that need to be confessed? Are there people that I need to make peace with? Oftentimes in our own households. Am I prepared to meet with the Lord. We are to consecrate ourselves. Yes, we should come and we should do that with a boldness. We should do that with a confidence. We should do that with a joy. Why? Because Christ has given himself as a sacrifice for sin. And he has promised that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is the one that makes us prepared to come to worship, but we need to seek him. should be those like Jesus said, those who worship the Lord God in spirit and in truth. We cover the second commandment regularly. It's the regular principle of worship, Boyer said, that God says, you're not going to make, don't make carved images of me. Don't make any likeness of me of anything in the heavens and the earth or the earth below or in the waters. Don't make anything like me. He's regulating how we worship him. And this is just the beginning of the Lord revealing that to the people. Don't come casually to the mountain of God. Prepare yourself. In time, we're going to see the instructions for the building of the tabernacle. The tabernacle becomes, as it were, the portable mountain of God. God is going to, in a sense, put his name and his glory in the tabernacle. And as they go, the tabernacle will go with them. It's as though they're taking the meeting place of God with him. God <coughs> condescends to go with them through their wilderness journey and bring them into the promised land. And this is an enduring principle. When you come to the tabernacle, that you should come prepared. You should consecrate yourself. Because God is a zealous and jealous God for his worship. text but in some sense it might seem harsh whoever touches even a little mountain should be put to death but God is beginning to teach that generation of old he's teaching them that as his people they are to look different they are to act different from the nations around them that's how you understand that passage where God's commands to don't, don't wear a garment of two different types of material woven together have you ever heard me come across that? I was like, what? You've got to teach. You're, you're not like the other nations. It's just a reminder. You're, you're unique. And I give you this command and you're to keep it. And this is still true for us today. Listen to Peter's words in 1 Peter 2, 9. But you, it's right into us, the church. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. These are precious words. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Why? That you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's the exodus. That's the salvation. That's the bringing out, bringing to God. Who were once not a people. There was a time when 
when we think just of our individual congregation, we didn't know each other. But now we are a people. We're not just us, but with indeed all of God's people. There was a time when it wasn't true, now it is true. We were at a time when we had not obtained mercy, but now we have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against your soul. This is that preparing to come to meet with the Lord. Don't live like the world. Live differently than the world. It goes on, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. As we live in the world, live differently than they do. Live in the light of the salvation you have received. Live in the reality of what Christ has done for you. Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So, let your conduct be honorable among Gentiles, Peter then wraps up in that portion, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So we learn that God has also consecrated us with the blood of his only begotten Son. And so that we come near to God. Indeed, the church, we find from the scripture, is Zion. It is the mountain of God. It is the very place where God dwells. He dwells within us. Elsewhere in scriptures, we refer to being living stones that the Lord is fashioning together as a temple that she shall inhabit for all eternity. Has not God dealt favorably with us? He's been so gracious and kind. It's, it's true for these children of Israel there at the foot of Mount Zion. There's, there's, I mean, Mount Sinai, there's so much they don't know. There's so much more than, for them to know. But we're, we're here. We have the fullness of God's revelation. We've been united to Christ, and we've received all his benefits, justification, sanctification, adoption, forgiveness, cleansing. What a glorious salvation we have. And therefore, each week, we come together to meet with God. We don't see a dark cloud. Look around. Is, is God hidden in a dark cloud? He's present with us. And how do we see him? Well, what's more important? We hear him. We hear him as his word is preached. But we see him in the table. This is God's appointed means whereby we see our Redeemer. He says, this is my body. This is my blood. This is the picture that God has given us that we would remember him until he comes. Do this in remembrance of me. And as we come to the Lord's table, he continues to consecrate us. It's a means of grace. So that we can live amongst the Gentiles. And that they will see our good works. Are you hungry? Do you need to be fed by Christ? Then we'll come to the table. Christ is here to feed us. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for this ancient text and these events that happened so long ago. Lord, they're... Uh, they're it seems so distant from us. And yet, we're very much connected to the same realities. We were once not a people, but now we are a people. We were once far from you, but now we, we draw near to you week by week as we come to worship you. And we too must consecrate ourselves. Lord, we thank you that you can command these things because of what Christ has accomplished. 
And therefore we have a hope that the work that you have begun in us, you are completing it against that day. That we should not despair, but that we would draw near to you. You promise that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. Lord, we no longer look for a Moses to, to go up the mountain to you, but we come to you in Christ Jesus anywhere and everywhere and at any time. Our mediator is with us. He makes intercession for us. Lord God, we bless you and praise you for these things. For Christ secured them on his cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.